you don't have to go to business school. You don't have to have a lot of experience. I was in the real world for one year. I was 24 years old this time. Uh, I didn't know what I was doing, but I made it happen. And that's what being an entrepreneur is about. It's about Googling a lot of stuff. It's about figuring it out on your own. And and really at the end of the day, you only have yourself. And so you've, you've just got to trust yourself. And um, I had to get scrappy and mm-hmm. I eventually put this together and it, it, for the most part, worked. Hey, it's Mary Scott Jamison here, and you're listening to She Had a Vision podcast. I'm interviewing female founders and business owners who are disrupting industries, discovering financial freedom, and also finding their own voice within their brand. These women had a vision. They executed even while falling down a few times, but they got up again and are continuing to grow. I hope these episodes will help you learn from their failures and even their wins. I want this platform to be a community where we can all learn from each other. Let's get to it. So this morning, um, I'm with Catherine Mason. She's the founder and CEO of Sculpt House, this just incredible, innovative fitness boutique studio. And she also carries an online athleisure boutique where I know Catherine carries those brands within her fitness boutique studios as well. And, you know, really Catherine from the beginning just immersed herself in this industry as a fitness model and trainer in New York and discovered some really cool forward thinking exercise techniques um, that she just had to bring back to the South. And um, Catherine, I am so excited to have you. You have two locations your flagship in Atlanta, um, one in Dallas, and just your booming online athleisure boutique. So welcome. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here with you. Yeah, we're really just going to dive right in. You know, kind of from the beginning, I, I love to talk through what you were doing before and how you got to where you are today. So did you always see yourself as an entrepreneur growing up? So I think I did know from a very young age. Um, I usually say the age 14, but, you know, hard to know exactly when you had that in the back of your mind. But I have for a long time felt like starting a business was something that I wanted to do. I do remember when I was 16, I worked at a women's boutique in Charlotte um, for a summer and then um, some over the holidays and things like that. And I remember at that age specifically, that's when I sort of thought about the idea of owning a retail clothing of some type specialty store. Uh, so it's always been in the back of my mind, but I also sort of wanted to do something in sports. So it is pretty cool today that the concept that I created does have to do with so many of the things that really make me who I am and things that I'm super passionate about. Yeah. It's so cool to see how you, when you look back over time, how things kind of mold together. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So were you really into sports growing up and like, did you uh, play on a lot of teams or whatever? 
Yeah. So I, when I was little, I played all types of sports. I remember being, um, you know, five playing rec soccer and through the years kind of worked my way up into a club team, of course, played eighth grade, ninth grade through high school, field hockey, soccer, track, and really focused on my athletics in high school, especially playing in school and on um, like junior Olympic teams and things like that. So it was a huge part of my identity as a person. And so when I went to college and I decided not to play in college, that was actually a really big, not only decision for me, but a little bit of an identity crisis, honestly, Mm -hmm. uh, which was good because it really forced me to think outside the box in terms of how do I bring out that inner athlete in some type of way in the real world? And is that sports marketing? Is that at one point I even thought about maybe working with like the NFL? Uh, I did apply to a bunch of jobs <laughs> with the NFL actually when I was in New York. Of course, heard nothing back. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, try to kind of dip my foot into a lot of different things to to figure that out, but ultimately decided to go to New York city to just immerse myself in the industry to figure it out. Yeah. So for the listeners, Catherine and I were, did this interesting internship uh, in college at university of Georgia. We worked for um, Jay Godfrey, right? I remember we put on this um, interesting fashion show. (laughs) (laughs) It was, it was fun. Um, but that's how I know Catherine and, um, it's been so fun already talking to you. So no, that's great. So yeah. So you were kind of navigating, what do I do with my life, my career? Um, whether if that's sports or how do I translate that? Yeah. So why, yeah. What, why did you, um, ultimately decide to move to New York and, you know, besides the the fun NFL jobs, like what were you seeing and really pursuing? So I graduated from Georgia in 2012 with a degree in public relations. Uh, I went to uh, Atlanta right after college and I got a job in public relations, marketing, communications. It was an integrated communications company. And although mad respect to the company. I just didn't enjoy it. And I think ultimately I'm the kind of person that I'm a hundred percent or I'm sort of nothing. And so it just didn't really resonate with me. Um, I really needed to connect on sort of a different level to give the type of passion behind something to work every day towards. And so I decided after a year in my first job to go up to New York City. And um, during my time in Atlanta, I had gone to Flywheel and Blast and these boutique concepts that were pretty new at the time back in 2012, 2013. And I really felt like maybe there was something there. I mean, I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I loved working out. I loved sports and athletics, and I loved the whole retail concept of connecting with customers in person. And so that really inspired me during my time in Atlanta. I also was sort of talking to someone 
in New York City who worked in the modeling industry. And I didn't know this. I think a lot of people don't know this, but fitness modeling is so different from the normal model that you think of in your head. Yes, of course, being in like top shape and that type of thing is also important in fitness modeling, but it's it's more about the skills that you already have as an athlete. So what sports did you play growing up and how can you apply those to videos, photography, that type of thing? So it's more like being almost a professional or elevated athlete on camera and having that body awareness than the runway model or like the really skinny person who doesn't eat. It's really different (laughs) from that. Um, And so I learned about this when I was in Atlanta and I sort of started dipping my toes in that fitness modeling world. And I actually got some feedback from Wilhelmina, which is one of the biggest modeling agencies in the world, uh, generally known for their runway and very elevated board of models, but they also came out with this fitness division a few years before this. And I talked to the main agent. He said, until you have a New York city zip code, I really can't talk to you. It just doesn't make sense. Of course, you know, looking back at it now, I understand that because you went to castings almost every day and it really required a lot of, um, castings and in-person interviews and Mm -hmm. showing your skills and things like that. So I said, you know what? I don't love this job. This is not what I want to do anymore. There's something for me in New York. I don't know what it is. I don't know who it's with, Uh, but I, I have to go and pursue this. So I moved up to New York. I had like three bags of clothes and I had a sublease apartment for three months. And I said, I'll give myself three months. If I don't like it, I can easily come back to Atlanta. If I do love it, I'll figure out the next step. And so that was really the start of all of that. Wow. I I loved hearing your thought process on that. That's cool. Um, I was very ballsy, honestly. I mean, looking (laughs) back at it, it's like, wow, to be 23 and just have so much passion. But I really think that when you are, I was really at a pretty low place in my life. Um, I was dating someone that, and I hope he doesn't listen to this. He probably won't. Um, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, I was dating someone that I, I really kind of outgrew and, and needed to move beyond. And I was in a city that I loved. And obviously I'm back here today, but I just felt like I needed something else to sort of cap off my life experience, if you will, before I maybe settled back in Atlanta or maybe Charlotte, where I'm originally from. And so it was just this undeniable feeling that I had to pursue. No, and I feel like everyone has it that goes through that age 23, early 20s, and you actually did it. That's that's the difference it's a lot of we're all all thinking that um I remember 23 was very dark for me as well um I won't even go into what I was thinking about (laughs) at 23 but um no but you made the the pivot to um pursue something you just had to you know um get a taste in and modeling whether you weren't sure what that was going to look like exactly but you um you took action so you're in New York um 
how are those first few months and, you know, what, what jobs were you taking and how did that go? It was amazing, actually, right off the bat. I remember the day that I drove into New York city with those three huge bags by myself. (laughs) Um, and I got outside, I got out of the taxi. Of course he didn't help me with the bags at all. Um, that Southern charm very quickly, uh, you know, the manners of men were very prevalently not there in New York when I got there. I'm like, wow, I really am a different world. But I'm trying to lug these three huge bags up my subleased apartment that was like four or five stories up these very sharp stairs. Um, and I just decided, you know, we're going to just go for this. I'm finally here. I've done it. And so I put my running shoes on and I ran around my neighborhood trying to kind of figure out what it was like, what was around. I knew there was a Barry's boot camp pretty close by. And I had never taken class there. I knew all about it. Uh, but I decided to go and check it out. I knew they had a smoothie bar. So I was like, perfect. So this was within <laughs> hours of me landing. Mm-hmm. I went there. I got a smoothie. I was absolutely obsessed with what I saw. It was like what I had experienced in Atlanta, but it was off the bat, an elevated, different experience that was not present. And so I just asked them right away within being there for 15 minutes, are you guys hiring? You know, what kind of positions do you have? What does that look like? And they were hiring for sales associates or whatever they called them, you know, front desk people. And so I... Got, had an interview the next day, and I basically met up with them for the interview, got the job on the spot, and within like three days was working the front desk. <laughs> so that happened very quickly. I also am someone that um, is very hardworking and very driven, so I knew that I couldn't sit around for too long. Um, my parents were very nice to kind of support me off the bat in terms of like getting my feet wet and getting my footing because I didn't go up there with a job. And that is something that I also recognize is a luxury in a lot of ways. So I will say that. Um, and I was very grateful that my parents sort of agreed to help support me initially, but I also am the kind of person that absolutely doesn't want that. So I wanted to start making my own money and just diving right in. And so I started working five days a week, um, often waking up at 3.30 in the morning and walking (laughs) from my new subleased apartment in my new neighborhood to my new job and opening the studio. The first class was at 5 a.m. It took about 30 minutes to walk there. And but I loved it. I was so mm-hmm. excited to be there. And so and pretty soon after that, I also, I finally got the meeting that I was hoping to have with the agent at Wilhelmina, told him that I lived down the street and I was excited to be in New York. And was he still interested in having a conversation about signing me to the fitness division? And so it did take a few months to really proved to him that I was not only driven, but that I would, you know, take the time to work my way into the industry. Cause it's not something that you just all of a sudden like 
get a job and start, you know, working at these magazines and for Nike and Under Armour, you really have to sort of pay your dues, go to a ton of castings. And so he was like, you know, let's give this a try. Let's see how it goes. So unsigned, he uh, had me go to a few castings. The first one was actually for Nike, which like, way to throw somebody in there. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, um, I'm going to try this out with you. Tomorrow you have a casting with like the director of Nike. Awesome. I mean, I was so excited. So I uh, went to the casting. It went really well. I think that they honestly love that I had a personality because I think um, sometimes there's probably a little bit of everything and I'm Southern. So it's easy for Mm -hmm. me to talk. I smiled. I engaged with them. And so it went really well. I didn't get the job, Mm -hmm. but he got that feedback. And so I went to a few more and everyone was telling him about how I was so respectful. And that really does matter too. I mean, they are hiring you for a job. Mm -hmm. It's a lot about the skills that you have. It's a lot about your looks. It is a lot about those types of things. But also if you're miserable to work with, they don't want to work with you. And so that did come to my advantage in the very beginning of all of this was just the manners and having Mm -hmm. the Southern charm. Um, So long story short, he didn't did end up signing me, which was such an exciting day. And then I just dove right in. I started going to all these castings for Nike, Under Armour, Shape Magazine, Women's Health, GQ, you know, you name it, all these magazines. That's kind of how you start is through the magazines. It doesn't pay super well, but your exposure is huge and it helps you sort of start building that book. So, um, that was, that was super exciting and, um, started getting booked here and there. And it does, I think your first year as a model, you really do have to just, uh, be okay with a lot of rejection too, because you don't have a huge body of work and you're, you have not much experience. And so you're kind of figuring out the industry altogether. Yeah. I mean, that builds resiliency and that can take you on and you can for the rest of your life of learning that. um, Yeah. There. So you were off to the races and modeling. That's fantastic. That's good to know, you know, it did take you a little bit. Um, You know, it's not like you just get there and it all works out. You did have to kind of prove yourself and your drive and all that. So you're all, you know, really are, you know, enjoying the fitness industry, whether that's through modeling, whether if that's, you know, working as a trainer, working at these boutique studios, just really immersing yourself. Can you, you know, we've talked about this previously. Can you really describe how you reached that light bulb moment when you realized, um, this perfect workout method that you were really excited about? Yeah. So like I said, I was working the front desk at Barry's and the New York location is actually where a lot of the main corporate people work out of. So the CEO of Barry's, um, actual Barry that the (laughs) company is work is, is named after. And so not only was I able to get to know them and, get exposed to kind of the operational back end that clients normally don't get to see. Um, But I also was able to see on a daily basis what that was like, like what was it like to work within one of these companies 
Um, what pain points did they have? What was it like to sell, you know, athletic clothing? I mean, the list goes on. And I really felt like it was something that I could very much do and handle even at the age that I was, even with the experience level that I had. Um, I'm a hard worker and I'm capable. And so I just, I, I really felt like that was maybe something that I could start and create myself. Um, at the same time, I actually had started working at a megaformer studio called SLT. And I went through their training program, became a trainer there. Um, I did go more towards the private training because I was going to these castings all day. And a lot of times castings, you don't find out about what time they are until the night before at like 8 or 9 p.m. Oh, wow. So you're, you kind of find out around dinner time what your morning or afternoon the next day might look like, or you might even find out the night before that you have a job the next day. You, you really have no idea. And so the whole industry, sort of like a musician probably, is like gig-related, a lot of rejection, and a lot of just like flying by the seat of your pants, which is not really me. I'm a huge planner, but that was really good for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but because of that, I had personal training clients. And the great thing about that was that those clients became like family to me. They wanted the best for me. And so they were really flexible with my schedule. That's kind of the point of this whole explanation. Oh, yeah. um, and so I was working with these handful of, of people on a very regular basis. And I was hearing what at the Megaformer studio they were saying. And a lot of it was, gosh, I have this crazy injury and this uh, Megaformer is so supportive of, you know, toning and sculpting my body while I have this injury or, um, you know, one guy was super advanced and we primarily did core work for like 35, 45 minutes Or I had a lady who had a blood disease and she was barely able to do anything. And so I had to really customize the workout for her. And through these different clients, I kind of heard the different levels of why the Megaformer was so amazing. I personally was taking classes all the time. I, you know, was a trainer there. And so I got to know the method very well, but I was at the very best shape of my life. And so to Mm -hmm. get these sort of different perspectives was super helpful. I also was working out at Barry's and doing the treadmill interval training. And so working at both places, getting customer perspectives from working both places and then doing the workout myself, it was the best combination of machines. Mm -hmm. And so one day, this was a light bulb moment for me because I was back and forth, back and forth. I kept seeing the same customers, (laughs) both places. And I myself, that was all that I ended up doing. I mean, I tried everything in New York. I will say that. But once I found my formula, it was like, wow, this really works. And I'm going to stick to it. Um, But it was a light bulb moment when one of my customers said, my doctor is so impressed by my bone density scans and what this method has done for me but he does want me to incorporate some cardio. Do you think that maybe you could write like a cardio routine for me to do, or, you know, give me some suggestions on how to get some cardio. 
And I was explaining to her, you know, I, I pretty much am going to Barry's primarily for the cardio interval. So maybe we start there. And so I just wrote some simple little cardio routines for her to do at her apartment gym. And it hit me that, I mean, she's wanting that. That's what I do. I have customers at both places. I hear at the Megaformer studio that they really feel like they need a little bit of cardio. And then I hear at the Berries location how much they love the Megaformer. And so it was like, wait a minute, why not put both of these machines together? Through doing some research, I realized that no one had ever done that before. And it seemed so obvious to me, like, duh, this is this is it. And weightlifting is awesome and Berries is such an awesome company, but it, it is a lot on your body. Mm-hmm. And when you're 23, that's okay. But as you do age and you see these regular people who have injuries and, and medical issues and whatever, um, having a machine like a megaformer that can really work for so many types of people and is so customizable from a business perspective made a lot more sense to me. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. So how long were you in New York when this kind of all hit you? How long had it been? This was about a, this was about a year in. Okay. Yeah. I was there for two years. Uh, this was about a year in. So I had gotten my feet wet enough to do some modeling jobs, get exposed also to the fashion side of New York. And that was also a huge part of the sculpt house idea was the fashion side. I was able to go to these amazing photo shoots and be exposed to racks and racks of all of these small fitness fashion lines that were sort of the anti Lululemon, if you will. So it was mm-hmm. like, you know, Varley and APL and a lot of these brands that we carry today. Um, and I also worked for Bandier as one of their first fitness models. They actually paid me through clothes. And, Mm -hmm. um, I was able to see what it would be like to have a retail offering. And so it was sort of all of this happening at one time. And I just got this overwhelming desire to make this concept. And so for the next year after that, I really nailed down what that was going to look like. I kept it to myself besides like my roommate, Mm-hmm. Um, but we would like talk about it cause she was going both places too. She was familiar mm-hmm. with Bandier as well. And then I started forming my business plan. Wow. Yeah. So you, yeah, you're very much passionate. You, you know, it sounds, yeah, sounds like you had a busy year ahead of you, um, and research. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So how did that go as far as your next steps, um, with researching, you know, equipment, the business plan, business model? So I did not go to business school. Uh, I went to school for public relations, which was such a great degree. And I've used that knowledge and just my writing knowledge a ton. So I think it was a great degree to have to own a business, but there was a lot that I didn't know. There's still a lot that I don't know, not having a business degree, but I don't think that you have to have this crazy education in business to be a great entrepreneur. And I went to the Barnes and Noble at Union Square and bought like five how to write a business plan books I love because it. I didn't know where to start. 
Um, and so I, one was actually a little bit more fitness minded, more like opening a gym, which is Mm -hmm. a very different operation in a lot of ways in a boutique fitness studio. But I just started writing and writing. And eventually after maybe six months, I had a very thick business plan and I, uh, sort of start started like really formulating the ideas. It's funny now because a lot of things have obviously changed um, in terms of like my initial thoughts of what the business was going to look like. And you even get down to details, like what is the schedule going to look like? Like how mm-hmm. are you going to do the different classes or mm-hmm. how many people are going to be in a class or all these things that really forces you to get into the very minute details, which at this point, you don't really know, but it helps you start getting there. And so that process was so important to me. And I really suggest to anybody who wants to start a concept, you don't have to go to business school. You don't have to have a lot of experience. I was in the real world for one year. (laughs) I was 24 years old this time. Uh, I didn't know what I was doing, but Mm -hmm. I made it happen. And that's what being an entrepreneur is about. It's about Googling a lot of stuff. It's about figuring it out on your own. And, and really at the end of the day, you only have yourself. And so you've, you just got to trust yourself. And, um, I had to get scrappy and Mm -hmm. I eventually put this together and it, it, for the most part worked. Yeah. It's so funny. The trend I'm hearing when I am talking to other female founders is the willingness to take a small step, a big step, just something, some type of taking action um, and how that just evolves over time. And that's how you build, even if it's a small step. Um, and I, the word scrappy does come up a lot. And the, you know, some, the trait I'm seeing a lot is um, somebody who is resourceful in a way too. Um, so I totally agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so when you're, you're putting this all together, but as far as the location, your thought process was maybe not necessarily competing with New York, but bringing it yeah. right back down south. <laughs> yes. So from the very beginning, my plan was to be in New York and then probably go back to Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's something to be said for really analyzing who your who would back you in terms of supporting your new business? And, you know, I didn't really know a lot of people in New York city. I met a lot of people. I worked really hard and I networked and I really tried to say yes to a lot of things, like even just meetings with people that I didn't really feel like would go anywhere, but they actually sort of did even years later, um, just connecting dots and that whole networking thing really is important. So that's another thing that I would suggest to people is when you are in that place of figuring it out, when you're in that place of, um, being a little bit lost or just getting started, go get coffee with people, go, um, you know, take opportunities, even if you don't know why you're exactly doing it, because you might meet someone that connect can connect you to so-and-so a year from now that ultimately gets you like the next meeting or whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. but all of that to say, I, so the reason that I decided 
to go back to Atlanta was to really kind of fall back on that network that I had created at Georgia. I was in a big sorority and a lot of those individuals and even other people from other sororities were back in Atlanta that I knew. Um, it was a big city that I loved. I wanted this to be in a Southern large city, mm-hmm. which really sort of was Atlanta, maybe Charlotte, where I'm originally from. But I felt like Atlanta was more ready for this type of a concept than pretty much anywhere in the South. And having that network obviously helped. Um, and so I started looking for a space and looking for uh, where exactly this was going to be. I knew it needed to be in Buckhead. That's where my friends lived. That's kind of the place that a lot of these types of concepts were, where Flywheel was. Mm-hmm. And that process was really hard though. I mean, it took me probably a year to even sign a lease. Mm-hmm. And a huge reason for that was was due to the fact that I was a 25-year-old female with a very cutting-edge concept that was new not only to the South, but was new in general. We were the first place in the world to put this machine with a treadmill. And the treadmill was not a regular treadmill. It was a human-powered treadmill. And then I also wanted to have this boutique component. And I think a lot of these older men that I was meeting with to convince them, hey, uh, put me in your space for five years and I promise I'll be successful and I promise I'll pay rent every month. And it was a really big risk for people to take Mm -hmm. on me. And, um, so that was a hard process and there was a lot of being led on and then silence and things not working out. But I do have to say that that process was really good for me. It was very insightful. It taught me a lot And it ultimately led to the space that we are in today that has been super successful. Our Mm -hmm. first year in business was way beyond my expectations. You know, when you create that business plan, you do formulate a lot of financial projections. We, We hit way beyond what I even projected. And when I created those projections, you create sort of a low, medium, and high projection based on different things. And I did a lot of research. What does the average fitness studio, let's just say Orange Theory, for example, what is their revenue in one year? Mm -hmm. Um, And so it was really exciting. And I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that the space that we went into and the shopping center that we're in is such a supportive environment for the type of customer that we have. So no, it worked out. Yeah. yeah I, I didn't think about that, really thinking through your brand, your mission, your target audience, and like being there, being very close by and um, surrounding yourself um, in that community. That's a really good point. Uh, and then some other just kind of question around this made me think through you pitching to, um, you know, you know, leasing spaces and just thinking about your overall pitch and like having to fine tune that. Um and this is something we can kind of briefly talk about, you know, in the beginning, were you having to fundraise pre-revenue or were you really more just relying on savings and loans? So I was very fortunate in that I come from an entrepreneurial family. That's my, great. yeah, my dad 
took over my family's 75-year-old business. Well, mm-hmm. at least I guess when he took it over, it wasn't 75 years old yet. But um, he bought it from my grandfather who bought it from his dad. And so it's multi-generational. Um, and so my family is very supportive of entrepreneurs and when I created this business plan, I presented it to my dad. I also presented it to my grandfather, who my grandfather really was extremely ahead of the curve, as well as my grandmother, for fitness. And I come from a very athletic family, especially on that side. They have run so many marathons. Um, My grandfather was eating healthy and obsessed with health and wellness and stretching and (laughs) massage and all of these things, you know, way before that was sort of, um, cool, you know, way before this time of like 2013. And so when I presented them this plan, sort of hoping like maybe they will like back me on this. Um, my grandfather was actually the one that called my dad and was like, your daughter has something really smart here. Of course, Aww. she doesn't know what she's doing. <laughs> she is really young, but I see the passion and she this business plan is really impressive. Like she has not cut any corners and I think that maybe you should really consider helping support her. So, long story short, that it was not an easy thing to convince uh my family you know, doesn't want anyone, um, getting things easily or, you know, something like that, but we worked on a loan program. So my dad and I have a loan. It's very formalized. It's a legal document and I pay him, um, you know, on a regular basis. And I Mm -hmm. still do for that first location after that Mm -hmm. first location. Um, the growth was was not actually from that. But yeah, I had a loan from my dad, from my family. And I'm so, so grateful for that because I do have to say, and even seven years later, it is so incredibly hard to get fundraising. And I think Mm -hmm. that's something that in my future, when I have more experience, hopefully maybe, you know, one day, Um, I will get an investor myself or, you know, way down the line, possibly sell the business. And I would love to find ways to better support entrepreneurs in that initial phase Mm -hmm. Um, because it's impossible to get started. I mean, you have this idea and no one wants to trust your concept. And that's really hard when you are just burning with desire. And of course, things also don't work out. I've also had a lot of failure. I've also lost a lot of money. Um, but that initial getting started and the money aspect is very stressful. And so I just so appreciate the fact that my dad decided to take that risk on me. Mm-hmm. And I think that today he sees that that was a good decision and how much has come out of it, but you really don't know. Yeah. I really appreciate you being so honest about this and open because not a lot of people are. And I think, um, it's, it's vulnerable. I know. So, um, I think a lot of us see the success side of businesses. We don't, that's why I did this podcast is 
we don't see behind the doors how they really and truly got started. And you have to start somewhere. I mean, that's yes. awesome. um, so I really appreciate your openness with that. Um, cause yeah, it's, I, I mean, I hear, you know, um, people trying so hard, you know, throwing their pitch decks and, you know, cold emails and cold calls, you know, considering incubator programming, accelerator programming, they're not even ready for VC backings yet. And it's, it's, um, you know, what's, what's, what's it like reaching out to friends and family, that whole type of seed yeah. round. It's, it's a, it's an overwhelming process and I, I'm glad that, um, but one thing that to point out is it's one thing, yes, to go to your family, but it sounds like you really took it very, very seriously. You treated it as a business proposition. It wasn't like some casual conversation. It was, you know, everything was formal. So absolutely it yeah. was. And handouts are something that's not in my vocabulary and it sure as hell is not in my parents' vocabulary. Yeah. Uh, my family has been successful and I'm so proud of that. Um, it, like I said, is a family owned business that they have grown over time. It's in engineering. So very technology focused and something that has had to evolve to stay around, especially in like 2018, when things were really bad, um, my dad had to kind of rewrite his business plan. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, I mean, they, they almost didn't do it. And I think the fact that it was such a serious thing, I mean, I paid an attorney out of my own money to come up with the loan agreement. So this was not like just some casual little agreement that he and I came up with and I pay interest just like a bank. I mean, yeah. it's as formal as it possibly can be. And I just, I'm very grateful for that. And I realize that that's not something that most people can do. Mm-hmm. I also think at the same time, candidly, it's really hard when you do have a family member that's involved in that way, because in some ways they sort of hold it over your shoulders, mm-hmm. you know, at least like with the bank, I mean, there's, it's a double-edged sword, right? Because with the bank, they'll actually come after you and like <laughs> your, you know, car or whatever else. Um, but when you're at the beach with your family trying to have a nice vacation and they want to ask you some hard questions about, you know, your numbers or something, <laughs> just like not now, but <laughs> you know, it is a double-edged sword, but I'm, I am very grateful for it. <laughs> yeah. It's fantastic. Um, yeah. So how, yeah. So it sounds like the first year opening in Atlanta, you know, was beyond your expectations. Um, how did like, as far as like the launch go, you know, do you have like any advice as far as like really preparing for your launch, you know, getting the followers, getting the community around you, even before, even before you're launching, is there any advice you have around that? I do have to give so much credit to the people that I initially, hired. I think that a lot of, a lot of people, um, you know, I was able to hire some people off of the bat. It was a very lean team, but we were not able to function without that. I don't think really many fitness studios are because you're open from five in the morning, five 30 in the morning to seven 30 PM. And so I did work a lot of those hours six or seven days a week for the first number of years. 
but you can't possibly teach all of those classes. You can't possibly also have a boutique, be the buyer, be the person that steams the clothes, you know, et cetera. So I wanted to really do it right. And so we did hire a lead trainer for the location who helped me get started when it came to finding trainers and getting our methodology uh, put together. And I have want to give so much credit to those initial people too, because I, I couldn't have done it on my own. Um, and it was really that first training team, the first five, you know, or so trainers, however many people it was that really tapped into their network. Some of them had worked at other fitness studios and had that customer base. Some were Atlanta Falcons cheerleaders and had Mm -hmm. a network. Some people had never taught fitness before. And I wanted to give them that opportunity to get started just like SLT and Barry's gave me that opportunity, which is very hard to do in the fitness industry. Uh, Not having experience really kind of puts you at a disadvantage in a lot of ways because you don't know how to teach a class. You don't know how to speak on a mic, whatever it might be. So I have to think about that part too. Yeah. Yeah. Projecting. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I really feel like there has to be a lot of credit to those people because they tapped into their networks. Those five to seven people helped bring their people. Of course, a lot of PR and marketing and my background and that was huge too. And so I think that when you do get started, you have to invest some money, some time into, into those. We're not really a big advertising company. We're really focused on word of mouth, but there was some initial advertising in that first year just to get the word out and it did work. And so I think that is necessary with some very targeted publications and now social media is so big. Social media was maybe not even as big then as it is today. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, doing some Instagram giveaways and things like that to get people aware of the fact that your business is starting is super important. And so I think the combination of the network of the trainers, the public relations, marketing, advertising, I also uh, had the website up and going so far ahead in in advance so that when I spoke to people about this concept, they were able to go somewhere and get more information. So I do Mm -hmm. suggest that as well. And at that time, Facebook was a lot bigger than it is today. And so I would go and take all these instructors in Atlanta's classes for months and months before I even announced that I was starting this business. Like no one had any idea for probably six months and then posted on Facebook and posted like the link to the uh, Facebook page. And so it was all of those efforts that went on behind the scenes that really kind of brought this momentum to Mm -hmm. the launch. No, that's fantastic advice. Um, That's cool. So Really do want to kind of dive in a little bit on the uh, the actual boutique of athleisure. So, because this, clearly this concept you have with the fusion, the mega former and the Woodway um, curved treadmill, right? It's called the Woodway. Yes. Um, That's working and that's, you're you're getting a great momentum there. Um, When did you decide to add athleisure? 
So athleisure was always a part of the plan. I think that it has evolved way beyond even (laughs) today what we thought it could possibly do. But even when I was in New York creating that business plan, a boutique was a part of that concept. I did want to approach it a little bit differently. Most fitness studios have the athleisure but it's very brand heavy. It has like their name all over it. It's very athletically focused. A lot of black leggings with white logos, sweatshirts with logos, things like that. That's not what I wanted to do. I actually wanted it to be a fashion company, something Mm -hmm. that people could come in, find really cool, unusual pieces to work out in or to travel in or to go to brunch in or to go to another fitness studio other than Sculpt House in because let's be honest, people are not just going to one place. Yeah. And I recognize that. And I think that's that honesty and that foresight was part of what has made Sculpt House on the boutique side so successful because I didn't want to do it the same way everyone else had done it. And now, and now people are coming to us pretty much first and foremost, when they're ready to buy a new pair of leggings. Um, so when I found the space in Buckhead, it was about a thousand square feet larger than what I was originally looking for. But when someone finally agreed to let me open in a space and it was a thousand square feet bigger, I had to figure out, okay, how am I going to financially cover that? difference. And not only that, we're in a very, very specific, uh, the heart of Buckhead, which is very expensive. We are in more of sort of like a basement unusual space, but that doesn't even matter. I mean, if you are in the shopping center, anywhere around our shopping center, you're going to be paying premium dollar because location is everything. So I had to, again, kind of go back to my business plan, Um, And ultimately, it just made sense to make the boutique a bigger component than it even originally was, which I really kind of loved. It really was, in some ways, being more honest with myself about what I love and looking Mm -hmm. back at my experience in retail. And I mean, even in college, most girls were wearing like the Nike shorts and a sorority t-shirt. And I was wearing like a head to toe Nike matching outfit with like the matching tennis shoes. So like, (laughs) you know, I've just always been kind of obsessed with the whole workout outfit. And when I was exposed to these other lines that were not Nike and Under Armour and Lululemon, I was even more excited about carrying these lines and exposing them to the South, especially because we Mm -hmm. didn't have them yet. We were some of the very first accounts in the entire Southeast. So um, that boutique concept really started growing and we were about 50-50 in revenue between the studio and the boutique, even in year one. And now we're at a place in our business where in the studios, um, depending on the location, the, the boutique in Dallas is quite a bit smaller than in Atlanta. So naturally that revenue split is going to be a little bit different, but we are now in a place where our boutique is actually growing faster and more than the studio, just because there are less limits there, you know, with the studio mm-hmm. aspect, you can only have so many classes a day with so many spots 
Yeah. And that's only so many classes a week or a month with so many spots. So there is sort of a cap, if you will, on those numbers. And we're pretty much hitting those numbers now. I mean, thank goodness it's taken us a long time to get back to pre-pandemic numbers. And Mm -hmm. I'm just so grateful to finally sort of be back to that. But on the boutique side, I mean, you can sell so much. And now that we have an online concept, which grew from the fact that our in-store boutique was so successful and people in other cities that I knew, um, you know, I'm from Charlotte, those people wanting access to be able to shop or um, I have a huge network in South Carolina and in Florida and kind of in the whole Southeast. And so I wanted to provide a place for those people to shop with us as well. And that's how in 2019, actually, prior to the pandemic, we really leaned on growing the online store and making it more of a legitimate part of our business. Where do you house all the inventory? Now that, this is actually like a very calm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is actually a very comical thing that you're asking this right now, because we are busting at the seams at to such a point that my, my poor retail team is just like, swimming in inventory. Mm -hmm. Um, but we actually have been fulfilling all of the online orders out of the physical location. So they're in the stores, they're on the floor, they're in the back room, the back room in Buckhead is an absolute joke. I mean, it's pouring into like (laughs) the hallway where like the bathroom is right now. And it's, I mean, in terms of just having like a customer facing beautiful situation, um, it's not, quite that right now, but I also know it's temporary. So we're actually currently building out a warehouse and office space in Sandy Springs up the road. And I'm so excited. Um, I've waited a long time to get to this point because the pandemic grew our online store and really got us to a point where this was an actual feasible business for us. It's a whole location in itself. Um, but we need to have more inventory than what we can actually store at the locations, especially because our shoe side of the business is so big and has grown so much and shoes take up a lot of space. I mean, you have all different sizes, you have different colors and it, it just, you can't physically have it, um, at the volume that we're doing in the back room of these locations. So, um, hopefully in the next, let's say like 45 days, fingers crossed, we will have our fulfillment center that will house almost all of the shoes. There will of course be some offered at the physical locations. And then this will also allow us the opportunity to grow online a different way because we've been a little bit limited and what we've been able to bring in and offer because we only have so much space with spending post pandemic really made sure that this actually is going somewhere. This wasn't just COVID online e-commerce luck and we're finally there, but, um, we are probably like six months, uh, in some ways too late for what our needs are, but (laughs) Hey, I mean, I'm proud of myself for being conservative and financially yeah. responsible because, um, you know, I've had to learn a lot of lessons there, honestly. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this from also reminds me, we can touch on this very, very briefly, but 
I'm so glad the e-com side of your business did take off during COVID for you. Cause I know you had to go through some obstacles like every entrepreneur did during COVID. And I think for you, right. It was having to make some serious business decisions on closing some uh, locations, right? How was yes. that? How did you have the resiliency to get through that? Wow. I mean, that was the hardest two years of my life and I'm still in a lot of ways sort of recovering from some of the like PTSD yeah. that that happened from it because you work so hard. And, and honestly, every dollar that I made in the first number of years of business was rolled back into the business. Um, I still haven't really personally seen a lot of that because we used it to grow. And I just care so much about my business that um, that's what you have to do. You have to sacrifice. You have to sometimes not take a paycheck and you have to really pick and choose where you spend your money and run very leanly. But um, during the pandemic, you know, I had, I had four full-scale Sculpt House locations and I had just acquired a small megaformer only studio in Charlotte, North Carolina. Literally, we opened in January 2020. Oh. So um, I had my hands full. Mm-hmm. I was also in multiple different states. I was in Georgia, North Carolina, and Tennessee, and in Texas. And all of those governments had different regulations in terms of oh. COVID procedures, cleaning procedures, mask mandates, you name it, it changed daily. And so I had to really think through um, not only, I had to really think through not only how was I going to maintain business um, in general in this new atmosphere with cleaning, with procedures, I had to rewrite my business plan in a lot of ways. I also had to, on a location to location basis, try to renegotiate my lease with every single landlord. And this was me by myself, no business partner, um, not a whole lot of knowledge on how to even do that. And that process was really hard. Simultaneously, I was also applying to PPP loans by myself to get some money. And I didn't have the money because no money was coming in the door to hire someone to help me. And honestly, no one knew what they were doing at that time. There had never been a PPP program. There had never been the application for the PPP program. The government, within a few days, put it out. So we were all figuring it out together in this new landscape. Mm-hmm. Um, but long story short, yes, I had to make some very difficult decisions in terms of my locations. The Charlotte location is sort of easy to talk to because it had just gotten started. I had acquired it from um, some ladies in Charlotte and the lease actually was ending in August, 2020. My plan was open in January, start searching for a location for the full scale concept, possibly extend that lease for like a month to month basis as we were figuring out the full scale location Um, But of course, you know, when March rolls around, you kind of quickly decide that's an easy thing to sort of um, pause for a second and 
And we actually were going to keep it open as a megaformer only concept in its current space. Uh, but the landlord didn't want to continue the lease beyond maybe a few months. And so it just, it wasn't like, we didn't have a backup location. I didn't have the funds to roll out a full scale location. And so I really had my hands tied. And so that kind of was an obvious situation, um, in terms of Nashville, without getting too deep into all the details, which one day I will, (laughs) um, the landlord was not willing to negotiate the lease. And I knew that I only had up to 11 megaformers to be able to use in that location. And I was paying premium rent. No one was trying on clothes at this time. And it just wasn't feasible for me to be able to pay rent every month. I mean, I wasn't even going to break even. There was no way. And so for them to basically say, we're not going to do anything to help you out. Uh, Good luck. And if you don't pay your rent, you know, we'll sue you. Um, Not to mention my, my rent actually almost doubled because of some other things that went on in terms of my common area expenses um, doubled. And there were some things like that. So my rent actually was going to go up. Um, as of March, 2020. So it just was not a good business situation. And luckily Dallas and Atlanta, the, the landlords could see that we were a small business. They knew us very well. They knew the kind of numbers that we could produce in a normal atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And so they worked with us. And so I had to make some hard decisions. It's like you get bitten by a snake and you have four limbs and you have to decide like, okay, if I got bit by a snake on all four limbs, which one's going to survive or not? And how do I survive as a, as a person or a company? That's kind of how I had to approach this. And I really did my best in that situation. Everything was moving very, very quickly. I had to make a lot of decisions quickly. And so that's kind of how it played out. That's a very um, quick answer to what it really was. <laughs> But yes, we leaned on e-commerce a ton. It helped us pay the bills. It helped us grow. And we really pivoted as a business. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that being willing willing to pivot, being willing to be nimble, that's like entrepreneurship 101. And like you were able to do that. You know, I'm so proud of you because I I do not know how a lot of um, entrepreneurs and business owners got through that time. Um, and it's, it's, I'm glad that you're now more looking to some really cool new business opportunities as, you know, as far as expanding your e-commerce, uh, boutique to, um, you know, really continuing to build the momentum of your really cool, um, fused, um, fitness boutique studio. And so, what I'm hearing is you are truly a jack of all trades type of CEO. <laughs> you are over a retail team, you're over the fitness team, you're the CFO, you know, you are a sales and marketing, you're, you're everything. So, um, is there anything that you do, like when you get up in the morning, like routines, best practices for yourself, like mantras you live by, cause you're just having to juggle so much. And I just don't know how you do it all. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, honestly, it is, it is pretty crazy. Uh, like you said, I mean, we have actually sort of two, if not sort of three different businesses, mm-hmm. the, the fitness is functions sort of one way, the in-person boutique sort of fun- functions mm-hmm. 
a different way. And the operations that come with both of those, the customer questions, et cetera. And then e-commerce is, is its own thing too. And so we do have to have marketing plans, operation procedures, et cetera, over three different things. Uh, in terms of mantras and all of that, I mean, honestly, you just have to stay so flexible. Um, I would say that routine Routines are not in some ways uh, super feasible for me right now because I just have to kind of get up and be prepared for whatever the day brings me. And every day <laughs> is different. I mean, I might get a call on my phone. You know, I could have missed a call on my phone a few minutes ago that said that a treadmill is broken or that the internet went out or, you know, there's a situation with a delivery for our shoes from Italy and that I need to call UPS and mm -hmm. talk to the customs office. I mean, you just literally never know. And so I think just having a really good attitude about staying flexible and being a planner, that can be hard, but mm -hmm. you can only control so many things as an entrepreneur. And so I think the main thing you have to do is try to keep a good attitude, try to find balance, try to use the weekends as much as you can, especially after the first few years. I mean, the first few years I was in there every single weekend. Um, but taking the weekends to sort of allow yourself that balance and staying really organized. You have to stay organized because nothing is organized. Nothing on the business side is going to happen in organized fashion because that's just not the nature of something that functions from, you know, 5 a.m. to 8 p.m. every single day, almost 365 days a year. We're almost open every single day. Things are going to happen. So you can only control what you can control. And so make sure you document things, make sure you write things down, make sure your calendar is super organized and I think it's just a lot about attitude and, and staying positive. I love that answer. Um, yeah. And really just to wrap up the, the last thing I do want to ask is because you really are like this one man band leader um, and you're just like this octopus, like all over the place. <laughs> um, who is there someone in your life, like through this journey that you've really leaned on for advice and encouragement and support? Uh, there have been a lot of people, and I think every person has brought to the table a different thing, if you yeah. will. Um, there is not one person that has been sort of just business-wise, like, hey, we're going through a lawsuit. What do I do about this? I haven't really had that, which has been really hard when it comes to making business decisions. It really has had to be me. Um, but I mean, I've leaned on my husband a ton. I, mm -hmm. He has to hear it all. He's my, my sounding board. I mean, especially during the pandemic, that was such a challenge for our relationship because yeah. he was also going through it in his own job in real mm -hmm. estate. And, and he actually changed jobs, um, sort of during that time. So, you know, and I was in a really kind of bad place and that's hard to be around. Right. <laughs> and, 
Um, so I have to give him so much credit. We have become such a stronger couple through that. Yeah. I don't think that, um, you know, anything in some ways, maybe behind, besides like health issues would maybe be as hard as some of the financial things that we had to go through with that. Um, one of my employees, Mary Catherine has been so crucial to me too. She's worked for me for six years and has seen everything pretty much happen. She was one of my first hires on the boutique side and she has grown with the company so much too, but she knows, she knows pretty much everything. She is very loyal to me, but she's also loyal to all the other employees. And she does a really great job of sort of, um, having a separation of church and state as well. Like we're really close friends, but she, we can also talk about work, but she can also talk to the employees and, and know some secrets maybe, you know, that are going on with me or whatever. Um, but compartmentalize those things. I get, have to give her a ton of credit too. And she's been a huge part of making the business and the retail side what it is today. And, you know, friends of course as well, but, um, it's definitely been a very lonely process over the years. And I think that's important for people to know. And you hear that a lot, of course, but, um, if you don't have a business partner, especially it's also been nice to not have a business partner because it my decisions are my decisions. I don't have to really explain them. Yeah. But, uh, you know, some, there are some days where you wish you had like someone else to kind Mm -hmm. of have like the, the, the financial and other burdens sort of like on your shoulders. Um, that would be nice sometimes, but I, I am so grateful for all the people in my life that have supported me over the last seven years or so. And, just hoping that as we continue to grow as a business, I'm able to find even more balance in my life and be a better friend, be a better wife, be a better daughter. And, uh, you know, I've sacrificed a lot when it comes to like a social life and yeah. being really uh, supportive of other people. So it's sort of my turn here at some point to, to do more of that probably. <laughs> yeah. And it sounds like you, you know, you'll potentially be, I know you will be uh, a better mom since you are expecting and that's a whole different life stage. So yes, yes. That was, that has been a really big deal. Obviously I'm about 26 weeks pregnant right now and was terrified to tell anyone because I didn't even know myself how I was going to do that and be a great mom with all that I have on my plate. But it's also really forced me as a business owner to think through where there are areas of weakness in the business and where I need to invest in new people. And I think I'm going to be a way better entrepreneur because of it. So it is such a blessing in so many ways, but just on a business perspective, I actually was like, this is going to be hard. Like I'm not going to be able to do this or whatever, but it actually is going to be probably one of the best things that's ever happened to the business because it really forces us to only spend our time on things that matter and that are going to be for the benefit of the business, the customers and the employees. Totally agree. 
Um, I'm so excited for for you and your family. I'm excited Thank for you. just like these next few years for you. I mean, you've set a really great foundation um, over the last decade. <laughs> so <laughs> I think it's been fun. I haven't I haven't talked to a founder recently where you've you've been in your business for a for a little bit. Um, so it's been kind of cool to gauge your perspective, but that was interesting exercise to look back, you know, back in 2012, 2013 in your life and like how you, where you are today and like analyzing that. So, um, I think that's really cool for us to really explore today. So thank you so much. Um, this was, you are so, so smart. You are very thoughtful with everything you do and what you put into this business. So um very just honored to have you on my podcast. Um, this is great. And I um, really just the last thing to wrap up, where can listeners find you? Well, thank you. First of all, that was so sweet. And I, I so appreciate you reaching out to me and I'm honored to be on your podcast. So thank you for all of those sweet things that you said. It means a lot. Um, but you can find me personally um, at Catherine Mason with an underscore on Instagram. And then our website is sculpthouse.com. And we also have an Instagram for the studio. It's at sculpthouse. And then the boutique shopping sort of more e-commerce focused Instagram is at sculpthouse boutique. And yeah, I would love, would love the support. Great. Thanks, Catherine. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to She Had a Vision podcast. I hope you found something insightful or eye-opening to take away with you. I can't thank you enough for your support by listening. Feel free to drop a review or a rating on Apple Podcasts. You can also connect with me on my Instagram, She Had a Vision podcast. See you next time. And thanks for listening to She Had a Vision.